This episode is brought to you by Core, the brand new non-custodial wallet that offers a seamless and secure experience on Avalanche. You'll hear more about Core later in the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Empire. We got the roundup. Santi is traveling. So you've got me and you've got uh, two of BlockWorks Research's analysts. We've got Westy and we've got Pibbles. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. Man, you guys are going to have to bring more energy than that. It's a Friday. People are getting, get, you know, trying to figure out what's going on this week. There's a lot of news. Uh, Pibbles, before we um, hit record, right when I jumped on, I heard the tail end of you saying, who the fuck is buying Ethereum right now? So I got to get, that's where we're starting here. It's not news of the week, but I got to get your take. Why is that the question that you're asking, Westy? Yeah, I mean, FOMC minutes come out and like, 20 minutes and then like as soon as uh 1:30 hit uh if you're looking at ftx like someone just bid ethereum like up 30 40 dollars it's time to gamble i guess so you are not buying ETH at this point oh no i'm completely flat because it's gonna whip salt plus 10 percent minus 10 percent in about 10 minutes nice nice westy what about you how are you feeling about ETH post-merge I pretty much agree with what Spencer said. I think there's going to be a lot of volatility this week, given FOMC, given Putin's speech. Um, but I do, obviously, in a post-merge environment, love the e-supply narrative. The question is, just like Bitcoin happenings, it kind of takes a while for the price to sort of react to those supply shocks. But I do feel pretty good about ETH over the next 6 to 12 months, for sure. Nice. Um, all right, guys, let's get into some of the news. Um, I think Wintermute is probably here's here, here are a couple of the things I want to talk about. Wintermute hack, uh, Arbitrum vulnerability, uh, the stablecoin bill, Nasdaq. Uh, maybe we get into like Rari, few uh, like the hack payment from like Rari, um, and like that payback. Maybe uh, maybe talk about some other things, but I think let's focus on Wintermute first. So Winter, here's the TLDR. If you guys weren't paying attention this week, probably the biggest news of the week. Wintermute was hacked for 160 million dollars due to this brute force vulnerability in their uh, vanity slash custom address, whatever you want to call it. Um, Wintermute is still solvent. Looks like they've got over $300 million in equity. Can you get into the details here? Just break down kind of what happened with this hack. Yeah. So um, a long time ago, Wintermute seeded a wallet address that had like seven zeros at the beginning of it. Um, they did this with the profanity tool which um, how Westy puts it is it's basically like getting like a custom license plate. Um, so if you want a certain address, you can get it. And how that happens is you see the, the profanity tool, like will let you pick one seed phrase from like, I don't know, however many billion possible options. And then like it slowly um, iterates and loops through each digit until you get the address that you want. Um, so Wintermute specifically wanted one with a bunch of zeros at the beginning because something with how bytecode is processed, it gives you slightly cheaper transaction fees on Ethereum. So before um, Wintermute actually got hacked, it looks like one inch put out a blog post about a week ago disclosing a vulnerability and how easy it is for someone to kind of reverse engineer and loop through to get the private key for any profanity generated address. Um, Wintermute acted accordingly 
and they tried to, um, you know, switch their addresses out. But I think they fat fingered something. There was a human error and they accidentally blacklisted a router address. And um, before they could like, or I guess they had thought they had gotten it fixed. And then um, someone took the funds and then they immediately took, uh, I think like 115 mil, threw it into the three pool on curve because if you're holding USDC, Circle can, you know, they can blacklist your USDC. But if you throw it in here with everyone else's liquidity, I mean, that's a way bigger task of blacklisting the entire like curve pool and like getting sanctions against that. So that immediately shielded them a good bit. And then they just have this treasure trove of tokens sitting on chain. Who the hell knows how they're going to get it off, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, and for context here, for folks who don't know Wintermute, Wintermute is one of the best crypto market makers. They're one of the most active D participants. They're an LP in a lot of the big pools. They've got a huge OTC desk. They're registered with the FCA. They're run by deeply crypto natives. Um, so it sounds like basically what happened here, Spencer, is so you've, you've got a vanity address, right? So a vanity address address is essentially, I like that, what you said, Westy, of like this uh, custom license plate. So for Wintermute, they wanted one with seven zeros. So theirs was like zero X, zero X, zero, 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 like F E six A, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of people call these vanity ad addresses because it's like, you kind of do it to watch show off a little bit that you've got this like sexy address. What Jenny, their CEO would say is that there's gas optimizations and you pay a little bit less in gas. The problem with this is that the way you generate this vanity address is you've got this thing called profanity. I guess there's like, it's called profanity uh, and it's a vanity generator. It was shown that this, that profanity is vulnerable to these brute force attacks. So that's, am I kind of, that's kind of, that, that's where like the problem started. Yeah. 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 Cool. What, how did the hacker actually get, how, like, how was the 60, I, I still don't think I'm following exactly how the, and either Westy or Pibbles, I can throw it to either of you guys here. Like, I, I don't think I get, exactly how the 160 million was lost like how does someone just take 160 million here was this a user error on Wintermute's side or did they like brute force attack this what what really happened here i don't know how tech technical you guys can get here but would love to hear it yeah so i think basically what happened is Wintermute tried to migrate addresses and they were going to get all their funds off of this um this vulnerable address and then in doing so somebody on their dev team thought they had solved the issue and they blacklisted like one address that the wallet interacts with and they meant to blacklist another. Um, so then somebody came through, they look for profanity addresses that have high value in them. And I think basically they just go into the transaction hash on like Etherscan. Um, they see the public key and then they can see the public nonce. And then from there, they were able to kind of just reverse engineer it and like plug and play kind of like a reverse iteration of how profanity generated the address in the first place. They just mm -hmm. kind of like, they did that, but backwards until they got to the right thing. And they deployed this contract that just transferred all those funds to their wallet, which is labeled as like the winter mute exploiter on Etherscan right now. Gotcha. Okay. So these vanity addresses are basically, assigned a specific prefix or suffix to the program and it generates these like thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of addresses until it finds one that matches the specific conditions that the person in this case or company in this case Wintermute wanted so this hacker basically just brute forced to almost reverse engineer the 
the the millions of like uh basically trying to find that that address that matched what they wanted here um it sounds like okay that's that's really interesting westy anything uh and, and then through that, they were able to basically generate the private keys for the users with the vanity address to essentially get in. And once you have the private key with the public key, uh, you can basically just take the funds. So, Westy, any, uh, what are we missing here? Anything else? Uh, any other takeaways from this Wintermute thing? Um, yeah, I guess my question is, we sort of knew that you could brute force these vanity addresses about nine months ago. So I'm not sure why Wintermute decided, like more recently, to get away from these vanity addresses. And I, I do think that we're going to start to see sort of different naming conventions. Like, I don't think we're going to see vanity addresses anymore. I think more people are just going to use ENS domains and subdomains where like Wintermute can just have a Wintermute.eth and then each wallet could have like wallet1.wintermute.eth. So I think just changing naming conventions uh, would be a good idea. And I don't think it's worth the vanity address for just like a small amount of gas efficiency. I think like you're making up uh, and security way more using a different naming convention. Yeah. Pebbles, what are your takeaways on this? Like my, my thoughts when I saw this, I was like, damn, like Winter, if Wintermute is getting hacked, like no one is safe here. I, Cause I think when I think of Wintermute, I mean, they have, this is kind of, I saw Rekt put out a thing and it was like uh, at the end of the URL is like Wintermute 2 and you never want to have two things on, uh, on Rekt. But um, yeah, it's kind of like, damn, if, if Wintermute is, if this is happening to Wintermute, like it can kind of happen to anyone. But what are your thoughts here, Pibbles? What are your takeaways? Yeah, I just think it goes to show that no one is safe, no matter how safe <laughs> they think they are. And um, to just be like super careful and keep everything as simple as you can when it comes to custody, while at the same time, like being secure and um you know, it, it really sucks to see this happen, especially like they've they've been grinding for years and just to see that get erased like that, like we really hope that the um the hacker actually returns the fines. Um but it's it's just a terrible situation all around. And um yeah. it makes you wonder like how to keep institutional money safe and like can they just only rely on centralized exchanges from here on out if you can't even do any DeFi activities. Yeah, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the NASDAQ section, but I think it really opens the door for like really good uh, custodial solutions um, because, you know, security is a big problem. And if Wintermute can get exploited, so can anyone. And so I think a lot of these TradFi institutions are going to want to go through some sort of custodial service uh, going yeah. forward. One of my takeaways was um, the level of hacker that's coming to the industry is getting the levels of the hackers uh, are getting better. Like this was a professional who did this, right? Like uh, Pibbles, you explained how, how this kind of happened, like reverse engineering. Uh, I saw one estimation. So Winery's address had seven leading zeros, like zero X and then seven zeros. Um, so this estimation, you could brute force that in 50 days using a thousand GPUs. Right. So like, I don't think the three of us have like a thousand GPUs and 50 days of time lying around. Uh, this was a pro who did this. So that was, it's like, not only are the custodians getting better, security's getting better, funds are getting better, but also the hackers are getting better too. That was another one of my thoughts. So now that tornado cash isn't like as popular, I'd say, obviously, uh, considering what happened a couple of weeks ago. So the funds got stolen. Where did the funds go? Did it go into, I think it, I saw it went into the, uh, curves like three CRV, three curve liquidity pool. 
Yeah. So a good portion of the funds went there, the funds that they wanted to keep in stables. Um, or I guess if it just happened to fit in that pool, it was fine. Um, and then they, they kept all the other tokens, like they haven't dumped them or anything. They're just kind of sitting in that address. You can go on Etherscan or DBank and just look at it and speculate. When are they going to dump that? And what's gonna happen. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 how many, like, how many assets are in that pool? It's probably commingled with like a billion dollars in the pool, or somewhere around there, maybe a couple hundred million. Yeah, for the for the curve pool, like, I think there's like close to a billion just in there. And does this make it now that it's in the pool? Does that make it harder for someone like a circle to come around and like blacklist the tokens? Essentially, is that why you put it into the pool? Yeah, because if if circles trying to come in and be like, we're gonna freeze this, like. You can't specifically just freeze um, all three tokens in that pool. You can only control the USDC. And if you were to freeze that contract for the pool, I mean, you're also freezing a ton of other people's money who were not involved in this at all. Any other thoughts on uh, any other takeaways? Anything else you guys want to talk about on Wintermute here? Yeah, I think um, one thing that was interesting is somebody deployed a Wintermute Inu token uh, on Uniswap, like right after the hack happened. So someone like spoofed the address. So they made it look like the contract was deployed by the exploiter. So a bunch of people started aping in and people were throwing like thousands at a time into this. They're like, they're going to distribute the wealth. And um, actually what happened is every time someone bought the token, the the tokens that they bought were instantly burned. So it was just another exit mechanism for some random scammer who just was around to exploit this. Wait, wait, let me get this right. So a scammer spoofed a contract deployment for a Wintermute Inu token. So why, like W-I-N-U, that immediately yeah. burned the tokens of anybody who bought that token. So if I went and bought the Wintermute Inu token, the Wintermute Inu tokens that I bought would just burn. So they were yeah. basically, I was basically just handing money over for free to someone. Yep. And a lot yes. of people did okay. it. Did you do it? <laughs> no. I saw some people who did it. RIP. <laughs> RIP. Basically lighting money on fire. Um, awesome. That's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good add-on. Westy, anything else to add on to the uh, winter, winter mute conversation? Uh, nothing for me. Nothing for you. All right, cool. Let's move on. Um, maybe, uh, I don't think there's too much to say here. Just an interesting bit of news from the week is that NASDAQ, uh, NASDAQ is the second biggest stock exchange operator, I think, in the world behind the New York Stock Exchange, I would assume, um, announced that they're planning to launch a crypto custody service for institutional investors, starting with both Bitcoin and, and Ethereum. Um, NASDAQ hired, I think it was the former Gemini Prime head, uh, this person, Ira Auerbach, to lead the new division. It's going to be called NASDAQ Digital Assets. Uh, really interesting. I mean, this puts the, them in direct competition with Coinbase, Gemini, BitGo, uh, other traditional players like BNY Mellon and State Street are coming out with custody solutions at the end of the year, puts them in competition uh, competition with them. I think this is a good move, right? Like no one cares about on and off ramps in a bear market. Everyone's like, like when I immediately saw the news, I was like, so what? Like this doesn't, this doesn't, just another player kind of getting into custody. But what you forget is like in bull markets when everyone wants to get in, the, the on and off ramps become really important players, right? And we've seen over like almost probably $2 billion in crypto hacks this year already. So like safe custody of funds is just more important than ever. So uh, 
What do you guys think of this news? Yeah, I think it's pretty obviously a positive sign for the industry having the, the second big, biggest uh, exchange in TradFi basically saying we're going after crypto. I think it's definitely a good thing. Um, and I, I think basically um, on the winter mute situation, I think there's huge demand in TradFi to have really robust custody solutions and having NASDAQ as that sort of household name sort of gives them a head start with a lot of these TradFi institutions that want to get into crypto. So I think it's a good thing. It's going to spark some competition. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty positive overall. Pibbles, any uh, controversial takes here? No, nah, I think it's overall net positive. I'm, I'm glad that there's appetite and demand from customers to even do this. And I'm glad it's just Bitcoin and Ethereum and it's not, you know, all these these random old assets that you see on like the, the Bloomberg tab, like of just stuff that nobody is buying. True. Yeah, true. I, uh, I mean, I think it's just important not to lose sight of like how crazy some of the things that have been built, uh, just some of, some of the announcements in like the last month or two, right? BlackRock launching a Bitcoin fund or like direct exposure or integration with Coinbase, cust- uh, Coinbase Institutional, NASDAQ's launching crypto custody, Fidelity is offering Bitcoin to their 34 million clients. Uh, Citadel, Fidelity, and Sh- uh, Charles Schwab are partnering to build a crypto exchange, um, which my buddy is actually uh, in final round interviews. And I was like, is that real? Like, they're really doing it? And he's like, yeah, they're they're really going full force with it. So very interesting. Let's move past it. Let's get into uh, some other interesting things. We're going stablecoin build. U.S. lawmakers are reportedly uh, drafting a house stablecoin bill. That's going to place a two-year ban on... I think they called it endogenously collateralized stable coins, aka algo stables. Um, Westy, what was your uh, gut reaction to this when you saw this? You're the, I know you were the Terra, uh, you were the Terra uh, analyst when 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 you when you first joined here. So I think you've got a soft spot in your heart for the algo stables. Um, what was your thought when you saw this? Yeah, I mean, my first gut reaction was I kind of figured this was coming, given sort of the wipeout of. Terra, uh, that was what, like $40 billion in value like wiped out. So you kind of figured something like this was coming. I just sort of have a lot of questions around specifically how this is like the language in the bill itself. Like we got a lot of articles basically explaining that this thing is coming, but each of the articles had different sort of languages for how an algo stable is sort of defined. And so I was sort of confused and whether this applied to a lot of the over collateralized stables we see. So, for example, you have um, synthetics. So their SUSD is backed only by SNX. And so it's not necessarily an algo stable coin, but by some of the definitions I was seeing, that could technically be uh, construed as an algo stable because um, it's basically backed by uh, an asset by the same creator. And so I just love to see like the specific language, what it applies to. And also, like, I'm not sure if like a bill like this will even pass. Like, obviously, it's something that needs to get voted on, go through the, the proper steps. And so, like, obviously, people might be freaking out now, but it could just be a dud in the future. I think it's important to remember that there's a five-step process to these bills, right? You you introduce it, you pass the Senate, you pass the House, you go to the president, and then you become law. This bill is in phase zero, right? It hasn't even been officially introduced yet. It's extremely new. Uh, so it's not, it probably isn't coming anytime soon. Um I think maybe just a little more clarity around the bill. Like uh, here, here are a couple of things I read. Issuing a stablecoin without approval from appropriate regulators could be punishable by up to five years in prison, and uh, you'd get hit with a one million dollar fine. Does this mean that like 
what what are the current implications then for what are the implications for the current maybe things that look like algo stables right does this mean that frax must have a collateralization ratio of 100% does this mean that aves stablecoin can't now use aves as collateral does this mean that crv usd can't use crv as collateral like what are the implications for existing stables yeah so i from what i understand that's exactly what the case is like stuff has to be fully collateralized um i also saw something about that existing stablecoin projects would have a two-year grace period um, to become compliant so it's not completely shafting them and that's like kind of a sensible stipulation to add to it um but i also think like so if something's collateralized by external assets that aren't from the same dev team, um, then allegedly it's okay from what I saw. And if that's the case, then even if you had something like Terra pop up, okay, it was, you had UST collateralized by Luna. So what if they just created a separate entity that's not quote the same dev and they just deployed the same mechanism, but it's a different project. Like if people want to hurt people, they're going to find ways around it. This is just kind of like something to appease headlines and regulators, I guess. Hmm. Westy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that. Um, although I think like having a stable coin like that would just take, would obviously be pretty hard to create and hard to market as having like two separate projects that sort of coexist. So I think it's going yeah. to be a lot tougher to create that kind of stablecoin project, but I could definitely see some sort of workarounds. Um, and I also like the questions I have, like I see sort of two sides of this debate where like sort of questioning, is this a good thing where like the U S is kind of stifling innovation and like reducing the strength of the dollar because by like not allowing stablecoins to experiments, you're basically not allowing uh, the dollar to be like the prevalent currency within DeFi. Um, but at the same time, maybe that's what they want is they sort of only want centralized issuers that sort of have a constant demand on the buying US treasuries. And so I'd just love to know like the why behind, is there like a deeper uh, meaning behind this bill or it simply they saw the headlines from Terra and they thought they had to do something. Yeah. I, I also wonder what the implications are for someone like a maker, right? Makers collateralized with exogenous assets like um, like mostly USDC and, and ETH. But I do wonder if this means that someone like a maker, like the protocol, I, I just makes me think that they uh, they might, like the US regulators might, not probably anytime soon, but like in the future, make someone like the maker protocol register with US regulators to continue serving users in the US. Uh and then that's when you have a big decision to make, right? Which is like something that we talk a lot about on the podcast, which is, are you basically leaning in and you're trying to increase the TAM and of your protocol and like get as big as humanly possible, probably by registering with the US regulators and like complying with the rules? Or are you basically saying like, we're keeping the ethos of our protocol and like, we're gonna not really register and like do kind of the things that you want us to do and just like decentralize as, as quickly and as much as possible. So I think that's, I don't know, that's maybe one of the second order implications that this made me think about. Yeah, I know this is something that Rune talked about, the sort of end game plan and that like basically Maker had to pick two paths, either being sort of like a neobank, someone that goes along this route where they sort of have to talk, 
to uh, the regulators um, in order to exist or go fully decentralized. And so if something like like you said were to exist, where basically in order to have a stable coin that's pegged to the US dollar, you have to go this route. Like it's pretty tough to be in maker's position. Like what do you decide there? Pebbles, you worried about this one? Um, I'll be keeping an eye on it, but uh, in the meantime, I will not be playing with any decentralized stablecoin governance tokens, at least. Um, yeah. I think this is going to add a lot of weight to price appreciation of anything from like frag shares to maker to even like liquidity. Like I'll, I'll just stay away from them because even if like technically it's fine, it's not implemented, like people are still going to associate this negative correlation. It's, I mean, I think so Jake Trevinsky said this well on Twitter. He said, uh, and Jake, if you guys don't know Jake, we just did an episode with him a couple of weeks ago. He's the head of policy at the Blockchain Association. He's like, it's hard to overstate the damage that Terra did to the perception of crypto in DC, right? Many, as many policymakers already dislike the notion of a, this permissionless, like digital marketplace and wanted to put all of crypto into this well-sealed box. Terra gave them the as he says, and I would agree with him, the unjust cause, but it's still a just, you know, in their minds, it's a just cause to, to push that forward. So I think it's a shame that this is happening. I do think it's going to have an adverse react. What, what's actually going to happen is you're going to see a race to create a bunch of algo stables in the next like year or two before this bill is actually introduced uh, in like a, some of the chats that telegram chats that I'm in uh, with some folks who are in, doing work on some of this stuff they're like yeah this is just going to push us to move faster um and like race to build our stuff which was kind of which is just an interesting like adverse reaction all right folks this episode is brought to you by our friends at avalanche and ava labs they have just dropped a new crypto wallet called core you're going to be hearing a lot about it over the coming months you can now be one of the first to try it out Here's the reason I'm excited to partner with them on Empire. Right now, crypto wallets and browser extensions, they feel clunky, they feel non-intuitive. That's why Ava Labs built Core. It's a free, non-custodial browser extension that gives Avalanche users a seamless and secure Web3 experience across the entire Avalanche ecosystem. Here are a few reasons to try Core. Here's what I'm experimenting with. Number one, Core has intuitive dashboards with a unified display for all of your NFT collections, all your crypto assets. You can execute asset swaps directly inside the wallet. It's a really nice experience. Uh, maybe you want to earn yield or borrow against your Bitcoin, uh, but you don't want to do it on one of those C5 platforms right now. Core's native bridging functionality makes it really easy to bridge your Bitcoin to Avalanche's robust DeFi ecosystem. Last but not least, Core makes on-ramping super easy. You can convert dollars to crypto right now using the MoonPay integration. Just takes a few clicks. Download Core today using the link in the show notes. It's really, really nice. Uh, if you are interested in the Avalanche ecosystem at all, you have to be using Core. Download Core using the link below. Now, let's get back to the show. Westy, take us home with the Arbitrum bug. What's going on? What, what, uh, what happened on Monday? Yeah, I mean, I'm not too in the weeds in the details, but essentially there was a bug on the new Arbitrum Nitro chain, which allowed attacker to steal all incoming ETH deposits, basically going from the Ethereum L1 to the L2. And there's a, a guy named Riptide who wrote like a Medium article detailing how he was able to like wipe these like storage slots and well-intentioned gas optimizations in order to essentially like stop ETH deposits and sort of take them for himself. And so 
we sort of notified Arbitrum Nitro and got, I think it was like a 400 ETH as a bug bounty. And one interesting thing he said in the article that I read was basically that like he is 100% certain anytime a developer um, like deploys a new contract to mainnet that like he's 100% certain there will be some sort of problem that he can find and exploit um, and sort of claim a bounty on, which is pretty pretty scary to read, but at the same time, it's something you need to be aware of as a contract developer that anytime you deploy a contract to mainnet, there will be dozens of some of the best developers basically trying to find any cracks that they can. Um, so like yeah. security, once again, is super important. Definitely get your audits, um, which is obviously something to keep in mind. Yeah. Pibbles, what happened here? What do, what do, what do, you, what do you think about this one? I think the first takeaway is uh, learn to code and get these bug bounties because that's insane money. I mean, imagine just hitting. <laughs> I one thought they weren't going to even that. pay. They weren't even going to pay Riptide though full the full bounty. That's what I heard. Which uh, that's what I saw on Twitter. But which I'd be pissed off about. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure about the specifics of that. I'm just thinking like, man, if I knew Solidity and I could hit one bounty a month, like, I'd be retired within a year. To- <laughs> No longer be working at Blockworks Research, huh? <laughs> nah, I'm here for life. Um, <laughs> but I will say, like, it it does suck to just see another bug like this happen. And, like, obviously the, the future is cross-chain or interchain, And you just need a safe way to, like, move funds around or interact with funds on different networks. And, like, we have... We have so many VC funded projects. We have like Synapse, we have Stargate, we have Wormhole. They're all working towards this, but like you, you see something like this with the biggest roll up Arbitrum. It's like, when is anything going to be safe ever? And then like also like sure, I'm sure they had audits for the code, but like even an audit, like it's not like a 100% like gold seal that everything's going to be okay with your project or your code. I mean, I sat in a DeFi project for a few months as a trade. And then um, they, they had like two or three audits from like really good auditing firms. And at some point they realized that it was calculating interest wrong. So the protocol was actually running at a deficit and was just hemorrhaging money. So I got wrecked on that. But like, so even audits all the way don't work. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like there's so much that has to go right right now. Um, and there's so much that kind of currently is going wrong. It's like L2 security is touted as one of like the most secure scaling solutions, right? But then you get into like bridges. What was this? This was on the, it was sitting on the bridge, I think it was. It was like, uh, it would allow the attacker, I think Wes, you just said this, but allow an attacker to steal all the e- incoming ETH deposits from the L1 to the L2 bridge. So... Anyways, uh, I feel like this is another example of like just bridges needing to be fixed um, and like just how, yeah, how, how early we are to the bridging space. I also think, um, I mean, I don't know if this is true or not, this is to- like total FUD probably, but Riptide posted, he's like, what, or he or she, would Arbitrum have been insolvent if the $470 million deposit a few days ago was stolen and they had to reimburse? And 73, 74% of people said, yes, they would have been insolvent. Now I have no idea. Like that's probably total FUD, but I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys have insights into that, but like just the fact that one hack 
could take down some some big folks is pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a scary thought. And then the people who have equity in a company like Arbitrum are the ones that are helping prop up the entire crypto industry. So if you know if some of their projects get hacked and they they lose a lot of value in their seed investments, then like who's left for crypto at the end of the day? Yeah. It, it it makes me wonder if like are we going to see Ethereum with actual sharding live or are we going to see an actual secure bridge? Like which one comes first? What do you, what do you think? I have no idea at this point. Like hopefully one of the bridges just completely locks it down and like we go exploit free for, you know, the rest of eternity. But um, I think complete safety will probably happen just when Ethereum shards and we don't have to pay crazy gas fees all the time. Yeah. Westy, what do you think? I think this kind of shows the, the ingenuity of IBC on Cosmos. Like the fact that there hasn't been any major exploits there, I think. And I know they're developing ways to connect IBC to Ethereum and to Solana currently. And so I think that could be a pretty good bridging solution. But at the same time, I agree. Like all it takes is one hack on a bridge and that's like a lot a lot of value that you're taking and so it's sort of hard to align incentives like because there's a lot of value in these bridges like how much is a bug bounty worth it um, to these hackers so i think managing incentives is a, is a tough thing to do with something you need to do yeah anything else on arbitrum uh, a broader thing with just security is like maybe we do see a ton of huge dollar amount exploits on anything that's ran on solidity, but um, maybe like we haven't seen a ton of cosmos exploits because that language isn't as widely known. I think they use like wasm wasm. So if that starts getting more value on the chain, then it's going to attract all the hackers to come out there, learn a new language and then get ready to go to town on exploits there. You guys ready for Adam 2.0? Yeah. Let's see it. <laughs> what do you guys think? What do you guys think is coming? I mean, I'm excited to hear about what the EIP 1559, like looking like a joke means. Like, I'd love to know what's the deflationary pressure on that. I'd love to know like MEV. I know they said they're probably including some sort of proposer builder separation, but what does that look like? Like, I'm definitely super excited for like the hub actually having some value. Um, but I, I wonder what that value looks like. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Um, all right, last thing, Ray, uh, Ray, Ray, Rari, Rari Fay. Uh, in August, we talked about how Fay Labs proposed to dissolve the protocol. Um, the pro- proposal had Tribe DAO paying out basically all of its assets to token holders, except for about 14 million that was set aside to compensate users who were victimized in a previous $80 million exploit. The catch and the reason people were pissed uh, is that not all, all users were going to be made whole. Basically, Faye was only going to pay out 2% of fra- uh, of the $13 million that Frax lost. Uh, Olympus Dow lost like $9 million. They were going to pay out 3% of that. Uh, they were going to pay out like 19% of Balancer's losses, 27% of Vesper, Vesperfy's losses. So some people were really pissed, including Sam, the founder of Frax, uh, who called it one of the most egregious Dow and DeFi situations he'd ever seen. Fast forward to this past Monday, uh, Sam, the rest of the community, Olympus won out with a big new on-chain proposal that approved that pay, uh, appro- that got approved that paid out all victims in full. 
So, Westy, what are the what what what's the interesting thing about this here? Like when you see this happen, what are you thinking about? Yeah, I think so. This is something Joey actually said in his tweet thread, but it was sort of like in the future, how do we deal with situations like this? Like when protocols have some sort of PCV or some sort of value, um, and in certain situations, whether they, they get exploited or like something happens, how do we actually pay out those assets? And he sort of had the idea to enforce this on chain, which I think is pretty interesting. I'm not super technical myself, so I'm not sure how that would actually work in practice, but I think if somehow you could code uh, within smart contracts, specifically who gets paid out first in certain situations, I think that could definitely help alleviate in a similar situation in the future. And I'm, yeah, I'm just excited to see uh, future development in the space and how we sort of tackle this issue going forward. I mean, it feels like that. <laughs> it feels like what should exist is what already exists in traditional startups, which is like, let's say there was a, an, let's say there's an acquisition or a bankruptcy. Like there's a very clear preference stack that shows who gets paid out first, right? Like you'd have like the debt holders get paid out then the equity, like it, it, it kind of just basically trickles down the stack. Um, that should probably be, and that's basically written in the operating agreement of a company uh, that should, uh, and, and, and honestly just it's in the legal system too. That should probably get included in like the formation docs. I don't even know what it is, but like in the smart contracts or whatever of, of these protocols. It's a good point, Westy. Yeah, I think on-chain enforcement is definitely like the best method going forward. And, you know, like people are all about, you know, throwing funds at some some DAO tooling companies. Like let's let's see them build something useful like this so that you're not counting on a bunch of 17-year-olds behind a computer to pay you back your money when something goes wrong. But also, like, I don't know, maybe don't do a DAO treasury swap with a project funded or, like, completely created by a bunch of 16, 17-year-olds. Yeah. True. <laughs> True. So, um, all right, guys, this is great. Any Anything else that you guys are, uh, are looking at this week? Not really. I'm just trying to see... Um, what this interest rate height looks like and um, how the markets react to that. And then I'll... I heard a zoo. <laughs> I heard, I, uh, I did hear Zuki's raised at a $1.4 billion valuation. So as total rumor, we're, we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon. So we will see if that actually happened or not, but yeah, September That's... 23rd, it'll be announced. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so cool guys. All right. This is great. Appreciate you guys coming on. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next week. Cool. Thanks for having me.